What we want to do uh, this morning is kind of pick up where we left off last time. And uh, so if you would, please take your Bible and turn to Job 42. And uh, we will jump back in there. Um, Just so you know, kind of the plan, uh, we have a number of different uh, things that are going to be happening this fall. And um, so I'm going to be wrapping up uh, Job, hopefully in the next two weeks. Uh, We'll finish the book, Lord willing, next week. And then I'm going to do a, um, uh, call it a jet tour through Job. I'm going to try to do the book in one message and pull together uh, the highlights of what we've learned. And then, um, yeah, that's one message, yeah. And uh, um, pull out that all together, and then we'll, uh, we'll land the plane uh, with that. And then uh, Gary will be coming, Lord willing, to uh, start Exodus the following Sunday. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's jump back in here. And um, oh, well, we'll fix that later. Um, we said last time that uh, these things have culminated in God's response, which starts in chapter 38. God has come and he has revealed himself to Job. Uh, ironically, the very thing that Job wanted, uh, a chance to talk to God face to face, God granted to him. Now, it didn't go exactly the way that Job envisioned it going, uh, but nonetheless, God was gracious to come and to reveal himself to Job face to face. And uh, in, in chapters that are really unmatched in all of Scripture, we see a description of who God is unlike, unlike anywhere else in the entire Bible. God declares him to be the great God that created and sustains the world. Uh, He does things, he commands things, he upholds things uh, every day. And um, and he concludes um, in chapter 42. Actually, he concludes, God concludes his speech in chapter 41. Um, And in chapter 42, verses 1 and following, we see Job's response. Let me read it to you as we, we jump into our text here today. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you will instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear But now my eye sees you, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Uh, Just by way of review, last time we we noticed um, some of the things that that Job highlights in his response. Uh, First of all, we see that he affirms God's omnipotence. The, The first thing that came to Job's mind is he heard God speak firsthand and, and, um, as God spoke of his great work and creation in both creating and sustaining the universe, that the first thing Job says in verse 2 is, I know you can do everything. I get that now. Um, God is um, uh, omnipotent. He has ultimate, unlimited power to do whatever he wants to do. Um, and Job clearly saw that in his, uh, in his time there with God. The second thing that Job affirms is his sovereignty. I know that you can do all things, 
and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now that's very important because the tenor of, of Job's whole argument at this point is that God must have gotten it wrong in some way, right? That God did something wrong in, in, in bringing this, this punishment, this suffering to his life, whatever it is. And we have never once heard of Job put his finger on the fact that God can do whatever he wants to do, and he does whatever he wants to do. Uh, Psalm 115, uh, we've often quoted it, that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. But here we hear Job affirm God's sovereignty in a way that he is submitting to it. And this is interesting because I think, I think we do this also. There is a way to affirm the sovereignty of God that is not based on a faith and trust and submission to him. Isn't there? Don't, don't we say this kind of half grumbling sometimes? Well, I know God's in control of this, right? I, I, I know, I know, and, and, and I know he knows what he's doing, and... But, but we say that almost affirming the, the Sunday school doctrine, but our heart is not in joyful submission to it. And the difference here is that as Job affirms his sovereignty, all throughout the book he said God is doing this, but now he says, I know that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And, and you see his heart now submitting to and trusting in and, and resting in the fact that a good God has orchestrated this whole thing. And for the first time in the book, Job is okay with that. So he affirms his uh, omnipotence, that God can do anything he wants to do. He affirms his sovereignty, that no purpose of God's can be thwarted. And then we said in verse 3, he's going to quote... Um, God, back from in chapter 38, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Now Job responds to that question of God. He says, therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. He acknowledges that he spoke out of ignorance. He tried to explain things that were unexplainable. We'll talk about this later on in a little bit, but... Um, one of the things that got Job into trouble in the midst of his suffering was this, this expectation that he had a right for God to give full disclosure. Right? He saw it as his right. God owed it to him to explain everything to him. And, and part of the reason that Job gets so angry with God and gets to a place where he's even contending with God is, is he's, he's gripped on this idea that God owes an answer to me. And again, for the first time in the book, we see, we see his heart change and he says, you know what? I'm trying to talk about things that I don't understand. And the reality is, he says there, there are some things that are too wonderful for me. They're too amazing to me. You remember, um, uh, Terry talked about it in his message last week. Um, uh, David talks about it in Psalm 139 when he talks about the fact that God is everywhere present. He's always with him. He knows where he starts. He knows when he ends. He knows, as it says there, even the word on his tongue before he says it. 
And as David is contemplating God's great character, how he could know everything and see everything and do everything and be everywhere all at the same time, he even knows what he's going to say before he says it. What does David say? He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He says, I run out of gas trying to think about that. There's no way I can wrap my brain around that. That's the moment Job is having here. That for the first time he recognizes there are some things that he is just not going to be able to understand. Uh, like, like a two-year-old trying to understand um, the things of God, uh, the things that are normal to us. Um, Job recognizes that there are some things that are too wonderful which he does not understand. Verse 4, Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. And then what I think is, is probably one of the most amazing verses in the whole book of Job, verse 5. He says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Uh, we talked about this last time. Uh, Job clearly saw something. I mean, we, we, we can't walk away from this saying that um, this, is, this is all some made-up thing. God really did reveal himself to Job in what theologians call a theophany. Uh, that's where God visibly represents himself to people. And we see that uh, a number of occasions in Scripture. So he, he comes to, uh, to Job. He reveals himself to Job. Job has an experience, a real experience with God, where God reveals himself in these chapters. But that's not the sight that he's talking about. Okay? What's, when he says here, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. What's he saying? What's that? He's saying, I get it. I understand. It's, um, it is. It's the same thing that, that, that Terry talked about uh, in, in the message he did last week in, in that psalm. That when the psalmist prays, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. What's he praying there? What's the, what's the heart of that prayer? It, it's a prayer for spiritual sight. It's a prayer to get it. it. It's a prayer that when we read our Bible, we don't just go, oh yeah, I know that. It's a prayer that when we read our Bible and we see something, we go, I see it. I get it. it it's um, Theologians call that illumination. Um, there, there's an initial illumination when, when one first comes to repentance and faith, when the Holy Spirit grants him the gift of seeing. You remember Paul talks about this in, in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, for he cannot understand them. Okay, A, a non-believer doesn't have eyes to see, which is why so many people hear the gospel and they go, oh, okay. Keep right on going with life. It doesn't change anything about them. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 2 that, that in order to be saved, you have to be given the gift of spiritual sight so that you see and affirm. And you say, not just I, it's not just an intellectual understanding. I mean, that's part of it. But, but it's, it's that 
It's having spiritual eyes to see where you see, yes, this is true, this is right, and your heart embraces it wholeheartedly with faith. Well, that's what happens at conversion. But if you study Scripture, you see that that's also a progressive thing in the sanctification of believers. I bet there were things you learned this year in walking with God, in, in, in hearing a sermon, reading your Bible, hearing something on the radio, but that you say, you know what, I never saw that before. How many of you had that before? You never saw that before. Or, or maybe it hits you in a different way where you went, yes, I, I see it now. How many, how many times have I read that verse and I didn't see that? That's illumination. That's spiritual sight. And, and the problem in, in Job here is that though he knew a lot about God, and though he was a very righteous man, suffering revealed all sorts of things in his heart, most notably his pride and his arrogance. And God reveals himself to him. And, and in that amazing meeting of God and Job, as God just takes the spiritual two-by-four and humbles him. And he walks away saying, now I see. Um, suffering is one of the things that gives you sight. Suffering is one of those things that is designed by God to help you to see, which is why suffering is so important. It's why God uses it so much. So on your outline there, he recognizes that he spoke from hearsay, but now he sees. We talked about that last time, that little word where he says there, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. That word hearing means hearsay. And someone asked me about this last week. It was a good question. You know, hearsay in our culture usually has the connotation that it's gossip or slanderous or rumorous, right? And, and that, that may have been uh, in the equation here, but, but mostly what hearsay meant in the ancient day was that it was just oral tradition. Job was just passing, Job was just acting in light of the, the tradition of who God was and the common understanding of the community, um, what we would call the oral tradition of the society. He says, that's all I had. All I had was, was what was sort of common knowledge amongst the people. But now he has direct revelation from God. Now he sees. Um, and what a wonderful moment that that must have been for him. Now, um, look at verse 6. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Um, that's where all of this is going. That was God's intent, was to bring Job to a place of repentance uh, uh, from where he was at. And I just want to walk you through here. Um, what are some things that we see that were ingredients to his repentance here. Because as you read this, we get a wonderful description of what being broken before God actually is and what repentance actually involves. Uh, look with me at some of these uh, ingredients here. First of all, there was an acknowledgement in Job's response that 
God knows better than he does. You see that? The whole book, he's, he's been fighting God. The whole book, he's been telling God, look, I've got a better idea. I, I understand this better than you do. I think you got it wrong here, God. Now, you, you, may, you may not be in a position where you are accusing God of wrongdoing the way Job was, but you cannot repent until you are willing to agree that God knows better than you do about your situation. Um, you can't repent if you're still frustrated about what's going on. You can't repent if you're still defensive. You can't repent if you're still blaming other people. And that, that's, that's what's so beautiful about this section, is that we see, even before Job says he repents, you know he did, right? You read this section and you say, who is this guy? Is this the same guy we, we've been reading about in the whole book? Because his heart is so different. He's not defending himself. He's not declaring his innocence. He's not saying, God, you got it wrong. He's not, he's not uh, defending himself amongst his friends. We see a heart that has finally come to the place where it has submitted itself to his God. So the first ingredient of repentance here I want you to see is that there has to be an acknowledgement that God knows better. We saw this in, in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 uh, where David says to God, um, so that you are, um, I forget the word, you are right when you speak and you are blameless when you judge. When, when David comes to God confessing his sin and repenting, he's saying, Lord, you're right. You're right to condemn me. You're right to judge me. I was way out of line. That's exactly what we see with Job. There's a second ingredient of repentance that we see here, and that is the admission of wrongdoing. Look back at the text here. Verse 3, he says, Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. He says, I spoke out of turn. I thought I knew it all. And I was throwing it in your face, God, but you know what? That's not right at all. I was out of line. I, I, I spoke out of ignorance. I tried to explain the unexplainable. And in the process, I accused you. So there's an admission of wrongdoing. He admits his sin. Like David, he says, I, my sin I will not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Uh, there's a wonderful proverb that goes like this. He who conceals his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. Um, and we see Job uh, beginning down that road of confession and repentance. So the first ingredient of repentance is you've got to acknowledge that God knows better than you. The second is there's an admission of wrongdoing. Notice the third thing. If you're going to repent, you need revelation. Now we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, all of Job's friends could not convince him otherwise, right? Elihu, who got it right largely, could not convince him. What did Job need in order to see? What did he need? What's that? 
he, he needed to hear from God himself. I know, I know it's on the outline, but, 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 but put this together. This, this whole thing, he, he's taken what he's known about God, and, and that, that knowledge of God, that common knowledge, what, what theologians would call general revelation, right? Was sufficient to hold him accountable, but it took special revelation to bring him to repentance. Do you see that? It took hearing from God directly. It, it took special revelation to bring Job to a place where he repented and he turned, having finally embraced the truth of what was going on. He needed revelation. He needed to hear from God. That, that's important because um, the, yeah. That's true. Um, God is the one that changes hearts. God is the one that grants eyes to see. Um, You know, I I guess how this struck me was that, um, I guess first of all, this this is the we need to be in our Bible message again. Um, Because... This this is how God opens blind eyes. We understand that. This is how God opens blind eyes. This is the sword of the Spirit. And when we're not in the book, when we're not allowing the Spirit to use the sword, we're prone to be going lots of miles down the wrong road and not seeing anything otherwise. Uh, revelation is needed to bring about sight, and revelation is needed to bring about repentance. Um, we, we need God's word uh, to convict us and to bring us to that place where we we repent and, and we see. There's another thing I want you to see here about repentance, and that is he retracts his previous words or actions. There's actually two ways you can take that little word retract in verse 6. In fact, uh, how many of you have an NIV or a New King James? Okay. Uh, Bill, would you read your version, verse 6 there, please? Yeah, that's the first way you can take it. Job is saying he abhors himself. He, he's, he's, um, it, it's, it's more inward. He's saying, I, I was wrong, in a sense. Okay? That's one way you can take it. The other way you can take it is how the NASB translates it here, which is what I read, therefore I retract. And, and that way what he's saying is, I, I'm taking back all those things I said that were wrong. Um, obviously, you know, both of them reflect the heart of his, uh, of where he is in this case. Um, I, I think the weight of evidence um, leans a little bit on the side of he, he's retracting the things that he said. He's taking back the things that he did and the things that he said. Um, he's taking back all the foolish talk and all the times that he... Uh, got in God's face and said, I'm not agreeing with you on this. He's taking back all of his self-righteousness and his attempts to justify himself and condemn God in the process. He takes back those things. Yes, Ruth.
between retract and repent? They are different words. Yeah. Yeah, the first one, I'm, I'm going to argue the first one means I take back what I said. And the second one, when he says I repent, um, well, let's talk about this for a minute. The usual word for repentance in the Old Testament means to turn. Um, a definition of repentance that I like is a repentance. Repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change in the direction of your life. That's repentance. It's a change of mind that leads to a change in direction of your life. In fact, we, we often illustrate it as a, it, we think of it like a, a spiritual U-turn. Okay, I'm going the wrong way. I realize I, I'm going the wrong way. And I do a 180 degree about face and now I'm going the right way. Okay. And, and the, the normal word for repent in Hebrew in the Old Testament means to turn, shuv, you turn. And that's what makes this word interesting, and it goes back to what Ruth was saying a minute ago. The word repent here is not the word turn. The word repent here is emphasizing a change of heart. It's, it's another way of saying now he sees it differently. Now something has changed on the inside. He takes back what he says, and the encounter with God has brought him to a place where his heart has changed. He's not arguing. He's not defending. He's not self-righteous. He's not prideful. He's not defending himself. He's not contending with God anymore. Um, he's quiet. He's humble. He's submitting to what God has said. He's broken and contrite. Um, he, he's, in, he's in a place where he can see now. I had lunch with um, someone this last week, and we were talking about um, Job and wonderful interaction. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to hear, when this is all said and done, I'd love to hear from all of you what has really struck you about the book and what, what you've learned. I get to talk, I get to get up here every Sunday and talk about what I learned in the week, and that's not really fair because you guys don't get that, to do that. But now I'd, I'd love to hear what's really helped you and has stood out to you in the book. Um, as far as we know, God never answers a lot of Job's questions, right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. As far as we know, all the questions that the book raises... God chooses to answer not by giving answers to those questions, but by saying, here's who I am and you need to submit to me and trust me. But let's say, and that's what I was talking to my friend about here, let's say that after chapter 42, God has another conversation with him. And he explains the part about Satan. And he explains the part about the heavenly host. And he explains the part about how all of this started um, in the heavens. And that this whole thing has really been about thwarting Satan. Job would not have been in a place to receive explanation because his heart was not in the right spot to begin with. And here's where I'm going with all this. <clears throat> God is more interested in getting our hearts right first 
before he answers our questions. Um, And I think you see that. We don't know whether he answered those questions or not. As far as we know, he didn't. But even if he did, God didn't put the premium on answering all of Job's questions. He said, you know what the biggest issue here is in this man's life? He needs heart transformation. Answers that God gives you aren't going to help you if your heart isn't right. Job was in no place to hear from God until he was humbled, until he was contrite and broken over his sin and submissive and trusting and repenting of his self-righteousness. So, again, that's only speculation. But what we do know for sure is God is more interested in bringing about a heart transformation than he is in answering all of our questions. And there's another thing that goes with that. When your heart is in the right place, when your heart is where Job is, humble, trusting, submissive, broken, humble and contrite before God, not not accusing but resting, it just might be that having answers to all of your questions isn't quite as important anymore. Because Job doesn't make a big deal about it once he gets there. Yes? No, it's interesting you said that repent is usually turn, but in this case it's change of heart. Right. Because Job, Job's defense of himself all along has been his actions. I, I do right. That's right. And all of a sudden he's repenting. Uh, it's my heart. That's right. Yeah. Kind of like when you're a that's, that's a good analogy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just actions. It's a heart that trusts in him that God's really looking for. Okay, let's wrap up this section. Notice this. God does not defend his justice or explain his ways. That should shock us. (laughs) The heart of God's speech is not, Job, of course I'm righteous. Let me prove it to you. And interestingly enough, when Job repents, look back at verse, chapter 42, verse 1. When Job repents, he says nothing about God being just. Does that bother you? What, what, is, what has Job's whole argument been throughout the whole book? What has it been? He's unjust. And it's almost like it's not an issue anymore. And that's why I said, you know, maybe the heart change is much more important than answering the questions because once Job's heart is right, he doesn't need an explanation of God's justice because he says, I know God is God. And he submits to who God is. God doesn't defend his justice. God doesn't explain his ways. God's response to Job is simply an overwhelming reminder that he alone is God. It's not about having all our questions answered. It's about humbly submitting to God as our Lord and as our Savior and as our Creator. Number two, we talked about this a minute ago. General revelation was sufficient to hold Job accountable for his actions, but was insufficient to bring him to repentance. I think that's profound because the New Testament says the exact same thing. What, What does Romans 1 say? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Keith's paraphrase translation, God's judgment is coming on everybody because of the sin of the world. And he goes on and says, because that which known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that everybody is without excuse. What is he saying? He's saying, see the creation? Yeah, we see it. We all see the creation. God says that is sufficient to hold every person accountable to God. That's what it says. And, and you, know, you know how it goes, but because of sin, we don't turn to our Creator. We turn away from our Creator. We replace the Creator with the creature. We worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, as Paul says. Our foolish hearts become darkened. We make God into our own image. We, we play God ourselves. And that sets up the human condition. What's interesting is that Paul doesn't say that the evidence of God in creation is sufficient to save them. It's only sufficient to condemn them. And that's why we've got to read a few more chapters in Romans till we get to Romans chapter 3. And then he says, now the righteousness of God is revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, a, a justification that comes by faith in Him alone. So say it like this. General revelation is sufficient to condemn people for sin and to hold them accountable before God so that there is no excuse, but it is not sufficient to save them. And in Job's case, it was not sufficient to bring him to repentance. He needed special revelation. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, it said, well, Romans one tells us, you know, because God made it evident to them right. through creation. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Even in other cultures, you see that. Um, and this is a good time to remember that not only did Job not have a Bible, not only did he not have an Old Testament, <laughs> um, all he had was the tradition of the community. I mean, very much like a Papua New Guinea type of situation, and perhaps even a Cambodia situation, where all you have is the oral tradition that the society passes down. Um, I want you to see two things about that. God didn't come to Job and say, you know what, Job, I, I know you just didn't know any better, so we'll call this one okay this time. God did not let Job off the hook because he lacked revelation. He held him accountable for what he knew. But the second thing I want you to see is that God was gracious to give him the needed revelation so that he could come to a place of repentance. Um, And that's a wonderful gift that God granted there. Last thing. It seems that unanswered questions in the depth of suffering 
are the greatest opportunities for growth in faith and the acquisition of spiritual sight. Do you see that? The way God brought this man to see is by bringing overwhelming suffering into his life, raising countless questions and not answering those questions. We say, what? It's the genius and wisdom of God that in the depth of suffering, he brings unanswered questions and that leads us to spiritual sight. Um, I bet we could go around the room and all of you would have some unanswered questions, even though we have a full canon, right? We've got the sufficient texts. Remember that the genius and wisdom of God is that unanswered questions in the depth of suffering is often what God uses to help us to see. Okay? Don't go anywhere. Don't shut down just yet. I got some good stuff to share with you. D.A. Carson, in talking about Job's response, says this, The burden of God's response to Job is twofold. The first emphasis we have already noted, Job has darkened God's counsel by trying to justify himself at the expense of condemning God. And Job is in no position to do that. Listen to this. God's speeches show Job that his lowly station point was not the appropriate place from which to judge whether cosmic orders were sufficiently askew to justify the declaration, let there be darkness. The second emphasis, Carson goes on, is implicit. If there are so many things that Job does not understand, why should he so persistently demand that he understand his own suffering. There are some things you will not understand, for you are not God. That's why Job's answer is so appropriate. He does not say, listen to to what Carson says, okay? He does not say, ah, at last I understand. But he says, rather, I repent. And he does not repent of sins that have allegedly brought on the suffering, He repents of his arrogance in impugning God's justice. He repents of the attitude whereby he simply demands an answer as if such were owed to him. He repents of not having known God better. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I repent. To those who do not know God and to those who insist on being God, this outcome will never suffice. Those who do know God come in time to recognize that it is better to know God and to trust God than to claim the rights of God. And uh, my favorite commentator on Job concludes with this statement, okay? It's got some old English in it, so stay with me, okay? It's worth it. It's gold if you get it, okay? Heaven and earth may pass away. Actually, let's, let's... Heaven and earth may pass away. All things seen and temporal may fluctuate and change, but the perfections of God abide, incapable of mutation or decay. This is the one invariable fixed point, the basis of all certainty and of all correct judgments. It is, in mathematical phrase, the origin to which everything is to be referred and from which everything is to be estimated. 
God must ever act like himself. Whatever he does must be consistent with his glorious attributes, must be, in fact, the outflow of those attributes. The orderings of providence have their spring in the perfections of the ever-blessed God. Sense cannot discern this, but faith affirms it and persistently adheres to it, being the outward appearance of things what it may. Now listen, this is the part where it gets good. This is the lesson which Job has now learned, and hence he retracts all his murmuring words and all that he has said reproachful to his Maker. He abhors himself for having uttered them, and he repents in dust and ashes. He would not now ask as before, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Listen to this. There is no evil. There can be no evil from the hand of the Lord. Evil is good when it comes from Him. He no longer puts the benefits received from God in one scale and the afflictions in the other, but afflictions are put in the same scale with benefits. They too are benefits when God sends them. And thus, instead of tending to create counterpose, they but add their weight to that of the obligation previously existing. The nerve of Satan's temptation is now cut completely. Every weight goes henceforth into the scale of God's goodness, and there is no possibility of disturbing the existing preponderance. He who has learned to place his soul in undivided trust in God and to estimate all things by the standard of his perfection, listen, is beyond the reach of any serious attempt to detach him from the Lord's service. To such a faith Job has risen under the felt power of God's immediate presence. He is now in a perfectly impregnable position and Satan can assail him no longer. His spiritual deliverance is complete. That's pretty good, isn't it? And we say, okay, we say from, from the spiritual bleachers, praise God that Job sees it now. He sees it. He repents. He's where he needs to be. Um. You know, at the beginning of the chapter, the beginning of the book, God goes out of his way to tell us that Job is a righteous man. And I hope you've seen that a righteous man is not somebody who never sins. A righteous man is not somebody who never struggles. A righteous man is not somebody who is even capable of very serious sin, getting in the face of God and contending with him. But a righteous man is one when God exposes him to the truth, quickly repents, brokenhearted, and contrite. We often say that a Christian is not somebody who never sins. A Christian is somebody who, when he does sin, repents and gets right with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Uh, Job, thank you for um, the weight of what this book is revealing to us. Father, how we pray that um, our hearts would be broken and contrite before you, that we would be joyfully submissive to your providence, 
and we would delight in all of your ways. Father, thank you that Job has shown us that the essence of true faith is not a perfect life, but it's a repentant life. And we see that the deliverance you were working in his heart had nothing to do with the things he did or did not do. It it was a heart surgery that he needed, a rescue from his own pride and arrogance and accusation. Father, thank you again. Uh, we, We... We have gained so much from our time looking over Job's shoulder. Uh, Father, now would you help us in our own hearts to be joyfully submissive to and trusting in uh, your work and your care and your providence that, um, that evil is good uh, when it comes from your hand. Uh, Father, would you help us to remember that and walk in light of that, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.